0: Bicycle,
1: bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bike. bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride
2: Hello, everybody, my and welcome bike. to the Oscar Watch podcast—the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host Stephen Buja, and joining me, as always. Amy Thomason.
0: Hello, everyone. Hello. Bonjour. Yes. Buongiorno.
2: And Amy, I am so glad to be back with you. And we have a very special guest. Joining us, one half of the duo from the only podcast about movies, writer, director, father, most knowledgeable <laughs> man in movies that I have ever met, Shahir <laughs> Dowd joins us once again to discuss this week's movie shahir
1: it's been a while how have you been uh very well thank you i wouldn't say i'm a special guest at this point i think i you know being a returning guest i'm just the guy who lingers i think <laughs> is maybe what you're looking for <laughs> who hangs out just you know the guy who just hangs out just a little bit too much okay
2: all right well <laughs> regardless of what we want to call you what mm-hmm. have you been up to how is the podcast business on your end
1: um, re uh, really great, thank you. Now, I I think the one thing is I've been a little bit absent from our podcast in that um uh, we are surrounded in the throes of a Marvel Cinematic Universe that is not unlike Ego and Guardians of the Galaxy, which threatens to swallow us all up. Um, but my co-host Matt Kroll has been uh. Very steadfastly dedicated to rewatching every single Marvel movie, and uh, he's done I think three episodes, each at about two and a half hours a piece, that goes through um, Phase One, Two, and Three with a uh, fantastic guest co-host Shalia Evans. Um, I uh, opted to bow out of that, um, not 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 because I uh, don't have a lot to say about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I think I I just the thought of watching. 18 movies back to back, you know, 18 superhero punchy punchy fists back to back. Just kind of, I-, I thought I might have other things that I could be doing with my time, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, uh, but they, those part, those, and the thing is, I, I, I enjoyed the conversation that those two had more than I think I would have enjoyed, you know, having to watch all those films again. So um, that has been great. We have a special episode about uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey coming up with a with a guest astronomer, uh, which That'd I think is going to be fun. Um, and uh, yeah, and we did a movie recently, uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. So uh, which is that one with
2: Walking Phoenix?
1: With, uh, we call him Walkman Phoenix because autocorrect on text kind of just took us there and, and <laughs> ran with it. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting movie that is very difficult to recommend, but very worthwhile watching. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to recommend because it, does every, it, it really goes out of its way to subvert everything you think you want from that kind of movie. Imagine Drive, but without the pleasure of violence, mm. if that makes sense. I do enjoy the pleasure of violence. yeah i think i think we (laughs) and that what you were never really there kind of points out or you were never really here points out is that should we be enjoying this violence and and it kind of goes out of its way to to subvert um the the kind of yeah i would say the pleasure of violence which is something you know like a film like drive for example kind of engages us in um a film like you were never really there kind of works oh you were never really here works to to subvert
2: all right, yeah. I'll so we'll add that to the long list of things I need to get out and see. Yeah. yeah. But uh, have you seen Infinity War yet, or are you just backing away from it?
1: Uh, no, I have seen it. I went to see it uh, on opening night because it happened to be the only night that I was actually free to go see it. Uh, and, and I'm glad I did go and see it because I think uh, it meant I was ahead of spoilers that were just inevitable and, and hard to follow. Are you guys kind of, I mean, Steve, I know you're, uh, you know, into the Marvel movies, but uh, Amy, are you, uh, uh, you know, where, where do you stand on that?
0: No. no. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I under. I have so many friends who are into them and I really try to be very, very respectful. But honestly, when I go and my husband and I go and, we try, and I try to go in with a totally open mind, really my truthful reaction is like eye rolling and mm. just, it's just, it's not my thing. I understand right. it yeah. is lots of people's things. I'm not gonna condemn anybody for having a favorite genre of movies. You're out there, you're enjoying it. I understand, and my friend had to explain to me, that, Amy, there are some people in the world who don't need some deep, meaningful social commentary. There are people who just want to go into the theater, and if they're going to pay that kind of money, they want to see something big that looks great on the big screen. Mm -hmm. So that's why they (laughs) would pay to see the Marvel movies and all that, and they would wait to rent like Lady Bird, right? So yeah. like, I'm not gonna pay X number of dollars. It's not fun to go to a theater and see Lady Bird on the big screen.
2: I mean, ah! I would I would beg to differ because, and and honestly, in the, on the scale of things, you should you should be paying to see Lady Bird. Marvel yeah. movies are gonna be fine. They're gonna make yeah they don't need our money. They don't, they don't need any help. Movies like Lady Bird, which is a phenomenal film, that needs that needs all the support it can get.
0: And, and and so that's how I feel. But my friend, like he's the one that likes to break my balls all the time. But he um but, but that's just his explanation of it. So he's like, Oh, it was great, it was fun, it was entertaining. You would hate it, Amy.
1: You <laughs> would hate it. I'm like I have I, I
0: actually I, I have a very fun, but I just I do. I saw Wonder Woman and I totally should have loved it, but my eyes were rolling so far in the back of my head. Yeah. It was hard. And I was like, Oh, it was great i
1: really like i uh i'm right there with you on wonder woman a little bit although i have softened on that movie a little more over time i i'm i have a really specific question though because you are oh sorry can you hear that yes no no hear what oh the uh, sorry a phone call came through Mm -hmm. um so sorry i'll start that again uh if you can make an edit there yep um uh, so, Amy, I have a really specific question because you teach middle school. I'm curious how kids uh, respond to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in middle school. Like, are they are kids kind of dressing up? Are they excited? Are they quoting lines? Are they talking about they it?
0: Are, um, our kids in general aren't huge moviegoers. And you know what I'm saying? They're just in general. They live, I mean, I li- where I teach is you walk down the street and there's cotton fields. I mean, these right. kids live in a rural, rural area, and they and they go to the movies, but their things on the weekends are like they go mud bogging and
1: <laughs> generally well, I, like
0: more physical stuff. Sorry, but all my sorry, friends, sorry. what's mud bogging? I just what is that? It's there's mud and you drive like four wheelers through it and you like spin around. I had someone explain. <laughs> this to me. Oh. I, was, I I tutor on school buses afterwards, and I'm like, so what do you do on the weekends? And they were like, oh, we go mud bogging and all kinds of stuff. But they but they like the Marvel movies. Um, my teacher friends all like the Marvel movies. They really like them.
1: Yeah. Okay. I show,
0: I, kids, I show my kids like Sunset Boulevard and some like it hot. And they like, they actually enjoy them. So that gives me hope for the
1: people. I was I guess I was curious then what do, like yeah what do they enjoy in movie wise cuz I was I was having dinner with a friend last night another filmmaker and we were talking about how um, in the star you know for Star Wars for example kids are still attracted to Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader whereas yeah. uh, Ray and you know Kylo Ren haven't quite as caught on as much and I'm sort of I was like oh it got me thinking about like what are uh, you know young kids or teenagers really into when they go to the movies, you know, like what are they dressing up as? What do they care, you know, what do they care about?
0: Yeah. Um, it's hard. They don't, my kids don't really talk about going to the movies very much.
1: Okay. Fair they, enough.
0: I mostly hear about all the other stuff they're doing on the yeah. weekends. But all the mud bogging. strange because that was, it's such a big part of, movies are such a big part of my life. And yet where I live, it's not a part of my immediate surroundings. You know okay. what I'm saying? So when the Oscars came out, no one was talking about, oh, I wonder what's going to win. and but, No. <laughs> no. It's,
2: it's, it's amazing how location does determine a lot of one's
0: uh, it's, access Which is, to hard, which is why things. Steve gets lots of text messages from me like, oh my gosh, I just saw this, I just saw that. I'm like, because I have like two people that I can talk to movies about and really have a conversation about.
1: Well, just uh, not to derail you too much on that on that uh, side note, but I think, you know, that is an interesting conversation because I came from uh, a small Pacific Island. I was born in Fiji and movies for us was a really big part of everything we did. And I think it was because we were so isolated that it was like a way to see the rest of the world. Um, And and we had this sort of interesting phenomenon, which I think uh, helped me develop as a film watcher and as a filmmaker. Um, was that we didn't have television, you know, terrestrial television. We had, um, so what you would do is you'd go to the local uh, store and someone at the local store had, you know, there was one person in the community that had terrestrial television and they would videotape the movies uh, off uh, a New Zealand feed. And then you would, you know, rent a tape which had three or four movies on it and you would just burn through the whole lot. And then you could watch and rewatch them because you would rent a tape for like a week and there was no other television to watch. And I think that was actually like a really powerful tool because I would watch movies over and over and over and over again. And and then it was, you know, like, yeah, there was a form of, uh, you know, seeing how the rest of the world lived kind of in a way. Um, so, yeah, location does play a part in it, but it can, you know, sort of have an inverse correlation to, to you know, your relationship to movies as well, you know, where there's not a lot to do mm-hmm. other than go to the movies, and, you know, in, New- in Fiji.
2: <laughs>
0: That's really cool. Yeah.
2: Well, location plays a, a large part in today's movie, the 1949 best foreign language winner, "Bicycle Thieves" by Vittorio De Sica. Now, uh, first a question: "Bicycle Thieves" or "The
1: Bicycle Thief"? Hmm. Do uh, yep. you guys want to try that first, or?
0: I always <laughs> thought it was "Thief" because that's how I always heard it.
1: Same here. I. I- yeah, I thought it was thief as well, but I, I I'm gonna go with thieves just because I think the kid is in on it, and you know he's just as culpable. So you know Bruno's <laughs> kind of to blame here for for a lot of this. You know, like I now that I'm a dad, I kind of get why like how frustrated, um, uh, uh, uh Richie is the whole movie, and I'm like, and, and no, look, I don't want to condone violence, but I was <laughs> like, this kid just runs off and does his own thing the whole time. So I'm I'm saying he's culpable.
2: Ah, uh, precocious children. We do. <laughs> so we love them in th- we love them in movies because they aren't our own. Uh, they aren't our own. It was directed by Vittoria De Sica, written by Cesar Zavatini, who did the story and screenplay, among uh, with others, based on the novel by Luigi Bartolini. It stars <laughs> Lamberto Maggione, Enzo Stiola, Lionella Carell, and Gio Saltamarenda, among many others, all of whom are non-professional actors. Uh It uh, came out in 1948-1949, won the Best Foreign Language Oscar at the 22nd Academy Awards on March 23rd, 1950. For a more in-depth look, you can listen to the episode on All the King's Men, which was the Best Picture winner that year. At the time, the Foreign Language Film Award was a non-competitive category, so this was more of an honorary Oscar. So we will skip the Oscar talk. As it were, as there were no other nominees for best mm. foreign language film this year, uh, which is a shame. I'm sure a lot, a lot, uh, many came out, but and I would, I would feel very sorry for them because this is one of the most <laughs> critically lauded films of all time. Uh, it is based in the Italian neo-realist movie uh, movement, which is a uh, small movement of films that came out in post-World War II Italy in the 40s and into the early 50s. Uh, The height was from, I think it was from 43 to 1950. And uh, it's taught in all the film schools. I think one cannot escape the neorealist and its influence. So the question to both of you, Amy and Shahir, is what is your familiarity with the neorealist movement? I think
0: the first neo-realist movie I actually saw was actually 1961's um, Two Women, also produced by De Sica mm-hmm. with Sophia Loren, first uh, foreign language best actress yes. for a foreign films, okay. And so gut-wrenching because it's mm. so funny. I, I, I love English and theater. That's kind of my background, but I also like uh, history. So you think like, oh... We think of the United States post-World War II. Everything's thriving. People are having babies. The <laughs> economy is awesome. All these great things are being invented. There's great fun films being made. And life is the best years of our lives. Everything. <laughs> and in Italy, which I have a passion for Italy. Maybe it's because I have an Italian grandmother, but I've been there twice. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I always feel like, why would anybody ever leave this amazing country? Because it's just the language, the fashion, the music, the art, the architecture, the literature. It's just wonderful. Then you watch an Italian neorealist film, and you're like, wow, these people had no reason to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Life was just brutal and horrible. And then I saw La Strada Yeah. Who- and so, that's really it. I've heard of a lot of the movies. I haven't actually seen them. But two women in La Strada really pack an emotional punch. <laughs> Just yeah. people-
2: I'll say. Is it here?
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, the film school reference is a good one. that's uh, I saw Bicycle Thieves in film school. Uh, you know, in discussing the neorealist uh, neorealist period. Uh, it, I have to be completely honest with you. It was not a period of cinema. That I perfectly understood uh, at the time, and I was uh, not as interested in it as as other uh, areas of you know film history. I think I think the thing that I really gravitated towards was uh, Hong Kong cinema and the Hong Kong New Wave um, was really where my main focus of interest was. Um, but I, I you know I obviously saw Bicycle Thieves. I believe I saw La Strada, um, and and the thing was you know like with Italian cinema, I. You know, you could argue the neorealist movement kind of ended or, you know, by the time Antonioni came around, well, by the time Antonioni did La Ventura, um, the neorealist period was kind of closing out what it was really specifically designed to do, which was, uh, you know, as Amy said, uh, highlight the, the, the post-World War II Italy, uh, economy and, and life in Italy. Um, so I, you know, and, and I have to admit as well, when I saw Bicycle Thieves when I was younger, um it didn't land well no land is not the right word it didn't resonate for me I, I wasn't uh you know as enamored by it as i felt like i was supposed to be especially like you know i loved the film uh, the player by robert altman did you guys yeah. see that uh, and there's a conversation in the player where they're talking about why can't movies be like bicycle thieves you know like I, and they're having this long conversation about bicycle Thieves. So i was and and i you know uh, that was around the period i was in film school I was like, oh, th- I should go watch this movie, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, you know, yeah, it's good. Gu- it's good, but I didn't quite like. I don't think I quite got it, and and I think I the reason I didn't get it was that I was like a you know a young man whose uh, perspective on the economy was uh, filtered through, um, you know, living with my parents and and having everything kind of given to me and and not really worrying about money and not really understanding. The value of of a commodity like a bicycle and what it meant, but watching the film last night before this podcast and now being a dad and now being the bill payer, I was like, oh my god, that bike! (laughs) And I was, you know, like every everything about the bike represented something much much bigger to me. It was like, oh, what if he gets a flat tire? What if you know, like he gets into a car accident? You know, like everything about this suddenly rang true and resonated in a way that it just didn't when I was younger. And, and then like the film now to me plays in such a different way uh, because it is like this tour through Rome that, that, you know, allows us into the smallest nooks and crannies of the city that we hadn't quite, you know, you know, that we don't romanticize with, you know, say something, I think, you know, La Dolce Vita is a film that's critical of, of wealth in, in, uh, post-war Italy, but but it kind of indulges in it. Right. Whereas a film like Bicycle Thieves, like, takes us through a poverty tour of Rome, and and suddenly like, it makes much more. It, it just it resonates with me in a way that that it didn't when I was younger. So I'm kind of had this like, I, I'm really happy you guys asked me to do this podcast because it made me revisit the film, you know, that I wouldn't have done um, probably uh, without having to, you know, without doing it for a specific project
2: okay you mentioned that's a, that, that's a very good i mean i'm always interested in hearing the younger and current perspective on on any film as as when we age our values and our in our ideas about how things are change along with us and how that can affect a film which is a very they're very finite slices of time because they're you mostly except for director's cuts the same thing and will be the same, this will be the same movie for the next two hundred years as well. And will it's sort of frozen in that in that particular moment. You do make the I like I like the uh the comment of uh, poverty tour you mentioned, because what I what what struck me and I was much the same way when I first saw this, I wasn't really taken because I couldn't quite understand it, but now I'm being a dad, though so not the breadwinner.
0: Being a parent really changes your perspective. That and is, I thought about what about be a father and a son too, that that perspective. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and, and even, even now the, you know, you feel for the, you feel for the mom, you feel for, you feel for everybody in this, in this movie. And it's so very, cause they're all, everyone is just desperate. They're all, they're all clinging. And you, under, you and now you understand the motivations, even of the, the thief itself, because, because yeah. uh, the, the poverty tour comment made me realize that this is, What this is, it's not so much a tour as it is—it's a one thread in a very large quilt that features a hundred thousand different stories of each person in Rome at the time. And we're just pulling on this one thread, and it happens to go through dozens of these other stories of these characters who we're not—who don't just exist for to serve this—the benefit of this tale. They are engaged in their own little dramas that we that we get a glimpse into that allows us to you know through the, these small intimate moments allow us to view the world of post world war ii Italy at a at, at a larger a larger bit and it's uh it's fascinating filmmaking that i could not appreciate when i was when i was younger because there's so much there's so much happening and they uh and you see it all through the eyes of these two characters this uh, his father Antonio and his son, uh, his son Bruno, which is uh, very. It works. It, it it certainly works now that I'm it works now that I'm a dad. Yeah. I,
0: I think it's true. And when you're little, your life experience is nothing. Right. So when yeah. you watch it, you re, you don't have a sense of the world. You don't have a sense of post uh World War II economy in Italy. You don't know any of those things. So you put it in and you watch it and you're like, Okay, what is this movie? Like a guy gets his bike stolen. Who the hell cares? I, you know, yeah. I got my bike stolen when I was a freshman in college. <laughs> it didn't ruin my life. Like <laughs> it happens, you know, but but it's true, but but the desperation and the one thing that really struck me at the beginning was when he gets the job mm. and even the way that that you think about poverty and how it's changed poverty itself seems to have changed that even though his job was like putting posters up he's not like a doctor or a businessman or whatever he's literally gluing up posters but he has a uniform mm-hmm. to do it he has a hat and his wife is shining the hat before he goes to work and i thought how many jobs do we do that for anymore you know yeah. I've seen like that it's still that pride that you have. That it's still the uniform is a nice uniform. It's not just torn jeans, dirty t-shirt, put on flip-flops, go to work. But but there was that that pride that they had.
2: Right. Yeah. And there's a the, there's just, a nobility in the in in the work in any work you there do. There is,
0: and it's it's I have a job. I can now support my family and his wife and how proud she was when she's dusting the hat off and I'm acting this out as I'm telling Mm -hmm. listeners. And how proud she was and he was, you know, buttoning up his thing and he got the bike and he's all ready to go. It wasn't like he just rolled out of bed and was like, Wow, I have a shit job. I'm only Mm -hmm. doing this to feed my family. Who gives a crap what I wear? There wasn't that. And I feel like nowadays any kind of formality seems to be out the window and I just and I love looking at the older movies when you see things like that you know what I mean we did the social network recently and you've got one of the richest guys in the world and he's wearing like a hoodie and jeans and goes to a meeting and like a bathrobe just Mm -hmm. to be like I'm so rich I don't have to care and then you've got this poor bicycle man who now doesn't even have excuse me doesn't even have sheets on his bed but when yeah. he goes to work, he's gonna have the shiny hat. His uniform's gonna be perfect. Those are the little details that really struck me when I watched it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the the I think the thing that really resonated with me this time around was the uh, was seeing them uh, strip their beds of sheets, wash them, fold them up nicely, and then take them to be pawned off and sold and And then, the thing that really like kind of tugged at me a little bit was when he watches as they take those sheets, and they, you know, and the the guy who buys them like climbs up this ladder to like put them in with all the other sheets that everybody else has been selling. Um and you realize how widespread, yeah, how widespread uh, the poverty actually is, and how much um people really, uh, really, you know, yeah, like if if you told me that I have to take a job, you know, like putting posters up, I'd be like, okay, this is a temporary gig. But at, with him, I felt with, you know, with Ricci, it felt like he was doing something that he was going to do till he was 60 at this point. You know, like it yeah. was the job he was like kind of assigned to do in life and he was happy to do it. And you see that at the beginning as well when they're like talking about jobs being ha- handed out. And you know, they're like, no, you're a bricklayer, so you can't do this job. You could do this job where you're a poster, you know, you could hang up posters. Mm-hmm. And you see that they, they've kind of been assigned roles in life. And the problem is, is that there's a scarcity to which those roles can be fulfilled. Uh, even though you would think, you know, like America, post-war uh, rebuilding would kind of take hold. And so the economy would be big and, you know, people would be putting money into like rebuilding and refranchising. But but there's just a sense of like emptiness and scarceness and and not being able to eat and that that thread is pulled all the way throughout the film. You know they go to a restaurant and they see that there is uh, another half of people who are living who can afford to eat in restaurants every day, and they just don't have that ability anymore. They go to uh, you know a church uh, which is uh, putting on um, uh, uh, a prayer meeting for uh, a prayer for for homeless and you know they're they're feeding them and. And, you know, the person he's chasing just can't afford to miss this. So even he's being, even though he's being like chased by this young man who wants his bike back, <laughs> yeah. he's like, no, I'm going to stay here because I really want this, you know, potatoes and pasta meal. It's like, you know, I just need this. Um, no, so man. Yeah. There's an interesting article that was in The Guardian recently um, uh, which talked about where are, where is the, the movies about poor people? And I think it was written by, written by Stephen Pimpare. Um, and it basically talked about uh, American cinema right now doesn't have a lot of reflections of, of the cinema of the poor, even though they make up a majority of, you know, where we live. And it gives us the impression that America is entirely wealthy um, and I, th- this was in direct relation to um, The Florida Project, Sean Baker's right. film. And, and, I think, and I think, you know, there's something to that notion. And so I think it gets to the heart of, you know, what neorealism neo-real- is about, which is not that, you know, um, poverty tour is a term I use. Um, I remember once I directed a show uh, in Panama and we went to a few poor neighborhoods. And I was very cognizant of, like, not exploiting the people of those neighborhoods but you could kind of argue that that you know if you think about what neorealism is it's it's sort of like oh well, we want to we want to highlight you know the plights of the poor and we want to highlight the plights of of people who are um, who are struggling but that's not actually what neorealism does it actually just kind of enlightens those who are watching to the struggles of people around them without exploiting it right. it, it doesn't feel exploitational in any way and i think you know the reason why the florida project resonated with people is that if you said to someone I want you to go see a movie about the poor people in Florida or I want you to go see a movie about the poor people in Rome you would think oh it's going to be all misery and gloom and doom and kind of you know what have you but there's a kind of um, human empathy which doesn't allow us to wallow in it um, which I think something that the bicycle you know bicycle thieves actually does as well which it doesn't allow us to wallow in the poverty, it 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 kind of allows us to engage with their struggles in a way that is meaningful and transformative. And I think you know that's what's powerful about seeing the film now. You know, I think you know we all kind of you know acknowledge that now that we're parents and we know that there's a uh, such a fine line between um, you know being able to feed your family and being poor. You know, it 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 just seems like oh if, if I make two wrong decisions, I could be in that situation. Um, that's, that's what makes this actually work is that we see ourselves in Antonio right. uh, in, 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 in Ricci. And we see ourselves in those people. Um, and that's why it doesn't feel exploitational or, you know, um, you know, the word poverty tour comes back again. It doesn't feel like a, like a, Hey, let's go take a, check out the, the poor part of the, the it city.
0: Feel, it doesn't feel like Dickensian.
1: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't wallow. It doesn't
2: it doesn't manipulate in the, in the way it doesn't, there are no, my, to my memory, there are no flourishes of very cinematic appeal of like long, like drawn out shots that really, really to say, that are saying you should feel this. The, uh, like the, hmm. the neorealist moniker feels like it stems from this is like a slightly heightened reality filmed in a documentary style. So much so that you could mistake this for just like we had some cameras and we followed this dude for a day through Rome. And that's it. It's it's mm-hmm. so without the artistry we give to a lot of a lot of cinema where it's like broad strokes, emotional, manipulative music. It's it's presented very matter of fact, not it's as if to say we are not here to you know condemn or or condone these people. This is, we are presenting this as the way Mm. it is for them and you are, you are here, it is your, it's our job to show, it is your job to draw the conclusions that, that you want. there's
0: no monologues about poverty or, you just see it. Yeah,
2: it it, it drops you right in the middle of things. You're in, you're in Italy, it's after the war, these guys are assembled for work and we are off to the races and through their search we encounter all of the institutions that are normally there for people who have fallen through the cracks and how they are all failing them you have the the church is are failing them the police cannot you know are so unhelpful here and it's it's like like these people are just clinging on to whatever they can and they're doing it however they can and if that means they have to steal a bike that means they're going to steal a bike
0: but one thing that that really bothered me is when he's hanging the the poster and mm. the thief comes up and steals the bike that dude that there's that guy yeah. that stands mm. there and watches it happen and I'm I thought I I figured
2: he was out. in on it
1: yeah, because doesn't he jump in the car uh, with uh, with Richie afterwards and and like kind of misguides him as to where where he was going? I think so. I think so.
0: That made me
1: mm.
0: nuts. Yeah, <laughs> that made me nuts. And I feel like in all of the articles and stuff that I read, we're supposed to feel bad for the thief. Hmm. I didn't at <laughs> any point in the movie feel bad for him. I think he was putting on a show at the end with his seizure oh, wow. or whatever. I'm like, you are full of shit. And you deserve to die. I mean, I <laughs> did this guy. I wanted him to get a beat
1: down. Right, but I um, I actually did empathize. is that old man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's like on my list of people who really deserve to get their asses
1: kicked. Here, you empathize. Uh, I- I did empathize with the thief and I did empathize with the old man because I I felt like what happens is in in an economy that's not geared towards supporting poor people you end up you know crime is rampant not because people are inherently criminal but because people just need to make things work and and so and what I the reason I really empathized was that you know the mother comes down and she's like you know she's she wants to protect her son obviously and then we go up into her house into her apartment and it is like this one bedroom place where there's nowhere to put a bike so you know the bike yeah. you know and 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 what what happens through this is you kind of get the sense that the bike means different things to different people yeah. to the police it's so trivial because it's a bike how are we going to how are we going to track there down a bike you know of there's some so, yeah exactly how am I going to track down this one bike um and then you know then we go to this um this uh, piazza where they're, they're disassembling bikes and the bikes become like tiny little pieces and you realize, oh, this is where the economy, where the secondary economy starts to take place, where people buy bikes, break them apart, or steal bikes, break them apart, and then you know resell them, and then but for for Ricci. I'm calling him Richie. That's his last name, but I'm just calling him that because I know someone named Richie. So I'm just I'm doing it. Um, the the bike means so much more. But the bike is a gateway to a better life. You know, the bike is the is the economic factor that will allow not only allow his family to 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 to, to eat, but also to eventually thrive. And so this thing that means so little to everybody else means so much to him. Because um, because that's the way the economy functions, you know. Like, um, uh, your your sheets don't mean as much to you. It don't mean anything to anybody anymore, you know. Like having so nice you waiting. Don't have them. Yeah. You don't have them, And exactly. I
0: have, and it, it is it's like like today. Um, I have students who have parents who don't have cars.
1: Yeah, you know, na- in a rural and neighborhood, you know,
0: and they live in a rural area. And how are they going to get to school for the school meetings? How are they going to get their kid? Um. My husband was a manager of a fast food restaurant for a while and he had to give people rides home because they didn't have a car to get to work. Sure. So, you know what I mean? And it seems so, of course, to me, I'm like, but this is 20, this is the new millennium folks. And you think everybody has a way to get to work. And there are people that legitimately don't. Now I did feel for the thieves mother. I felt yeah. for her. The thief really just seemed like a dick to me. He seemed, right like a punk little ass That's why I didn't feel sorry for him. He had that cocky look on his face.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And I was like, Oh, you're the worst. You are the worst. You're the worst.
1: You're the worst. And you know what it also reminded me of? Oh, oh sorry, no, sorry. Uh, no, I know. I, I
2: was, I was going to mention he has all of his, you know, he's on his home turf. So he has this very, yeah. all all of yeah, his, mo- like the base, like kind of a mob ish, like yeah. gang, like there to support him. Like, it doesn't matter what, like, Oh, like you're saying he stole the bike. Nobody cares that, if he actually stole the bike. They care that you're entering their turf and you're getting up in his face and accusing him of something and where's your proof? And it's uh it's it, it yeah, it, it's
0: you feel so frustrated. Like he was desperate. He didn't seem like he was desperate or anything like that. He seemed like
2: a Like yeah, he was he, he was part of a chop shop or something like that. Like he just had to steal the yeah. bike to you know, like, yeah. like like he had his own I'm sure he had his own story, his own struggles clearly like everybody's yeah. struggling but it's uh it's just a different look because you feel so much for Richie and Bruno because like this is this is their ev- this is literally everything and for them it's you know as Shahir said like the bike mm-hmm. was just a means to you know a fast a fast buck
1: for we know yeah
0: and I love and, his son I just love him, love him
1: yeah yeah Bruno is uh, so delightful um to watch and it's he's got that I think it's, you know, the, his introduction is uh, where he's playing almost uh, his dad's bike mechanic, you know, like, and he knows more about the bike than his dad does. He knows exactly where a scratch is. And I, I always kind of, I was wondering, oh, if that, if like knowing where the scratch on the bike was meant that he was going to be eventually be like the the linchpin to, to recovering the bike. Um, but, but he's not. And he's just got this wonderful, I think, Amy, you said it best. He's got um, the face of an adult. You know, like he's he's a, he's, a, he's a child, but he looks he's got the face of an adult, um, and so he's wonderfully um, empathetic. And you know, the moment where his dad says, "Are you hungry?" and he like just kind of gives him this little nod, you have, my my heart is breaking. Um, yes! but, but also, like the way his dad drags him through the city and almost is is just willing to abandon him at any cost. Like I the this. <laughs> now that we're all parents, the scene where he's at the bike chop shop and there's like this sort of creepier older man, you know, who's who's like, would you like this, you know, like, um, I think it was a a bell, Bell. buy this for you. And I was like, oh, dude, get away from that guy. Just like, get away from him. And, and, you know, like he, I think one of my favorite scenes is like, they're running away out of the rain and he falls and the dad doesn't even (laughs) notice. And like, and then the kid's like, I just fell. You didn't even see right. it. <laughs> and the dad just hands him like a little napkin and says, you know, clean yourself up. Um, I love I-, I love just watching this kid in this scene, but I, yeah, I definitely felt very uh, protective of him and very like, oh my God, you've got to like look after your son. You know, like um, at some point in this film, you've got to acknowledge that you need to look after this kid. That's what you're doing all of this for. But and I appreciated
0: does, that he wasn't this tragic little flower you know what i mean i like that he's running with his dad and he's helping him find the bike you know what i mean it's like they're they're in cahoots together he's not just this tragic little figure but that makes you more tragic and when the dad gets mad at him and yeah he's like screw you i'm gonna tell mom and i was like (laughs) i like that he's got some gumption he's not just this little Victim of society. He's got sad.
1: Actually, well this is a this is a question I have is what was the kid's you know, there's the first scene where the you know the dad goes off to work and he drops the kid off at what looks like a little gas station. station. Mm -hmm. And so you work there? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, the kid doesn't go to school. He actually works and he and he is contributing to the family income as well, right? I got that impression.
0: That's what I got that impression too. I was like, doesn't he go to school? (laughs)
1: And no. also, do you not and
2: have and child actually, labor laws yet? Seriously.
1: No.
0: <laughs> and the dad drops him off and is
1: like,
2: peace
0: yeah.
2: out. See you later. A couple
1: hours. Yeah, I'll I'll pick you up at 7... And then he's he's late to pick him back up again as well. You know, obviously because <laughs> his bike got stolen, but he's late to come back to pick him up, which means his kid was just hanging out on the streets. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, was, it's Bruno knows of- how to handle himself. He's...
0: But I think that that's also a generational thing. I remember, and this is kind of a side note, but just as far as like that generation of like 1940s poverty, um, if you've ever read the book Angela's Ashes.
1: Yeah, I have Frank McCourt. Frank
0: McCourt's talking about, they're living in like Brooklyn and Frank McCourt is like five years old and he's Mm. watching his younger brothers and they're like out on the street, they're going to the market, they're getting Mm. bread And they're doing all these things. And I kept having to tell myself, he's five. Mm. He's like the little man of the house. And I look, and again, I look at my son who (laughs) wants for, I mean, if he's cold, guess what? He's got blankets. He's got heat. If he's hungry, we have a multitude of food to feed him. He will never understand what that's like. But this, but I just remember that. And I thought, he was five. And like I said, they're on the streets of Brooklyn doing business and know all the no local merchants and stuff and watching his brother who's like three and then there's another one that's two and when the little baby and the thing is hungry like they're getting the milk out and feeding the younger brother and I'm like yeah. what and that's just what it reminds me of that these are small children forced to grow who up who have who are forced to grow up really fast which is gives them that air of being like a little man and <laughs> he, when he cries he's still tough you know when it yeah. started to rain, though, I literally was like, Mother, ah, <laughs> Really? Now it has to rain. Now it has to rain. Like, his day can't get any worse.
1: The film could literally also have been called The Umbrella Thief because I was like, oh, these guys can't even afford an umbrella at this point. Right, so. yeah. They're, they're
2: just, just hiding underneath a, like an awning that like and a, every, a bunch of else, monks. I'm like, what's going on with the monks, too? Just,
0: and everyone else does, too. None of them have umbrellas. It's just everyone just sort of clears and they just stand there and wait for the rain to stop. And I thought we can't we cannot imagine that that is so far removed from anything that any of us really ever has to worry about. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I don't even like going out on a day when it may rain. I'm like, I'm not dealing with all of this, (laughs) all the stuff I need for my daughter and,
1: and whatnot. Yeah. They didn't have Amazon back in uh, post-war Italy to buy diapers.
2: <laughs> they don't know what they were missing. They don't know what, what I, what I like about Bruno is that you know, he's know he's a little man, but he's still, he's still a kid. He's still, you know, <laughs> still running off. He still acts like a child. And I, cause I, I can't stand the Dakota Fannings or Haley Joel Osment as good as they are when they're okay. like, this kid is not. This is, this is. not actually. This is just a little adult who is here to tell the adults what they're doing wrong. Because look at that. They're so precocious and, and smart. I, I cannot stand that trope in movies. But Bruno, uh, by the he's he was picked off. He's picked out of a group of onlookers who were who were yeah. watching who were watching the film. Uh, De Desica just liked it liked his view. But, uh, Bruno is Bruno's is, is not like that, and I. I I appreciate that, and I, I also think that, you know, he you know he's there to, you know, he's supposed to be the reason Ricci is doing this, but Ricci is neglecting him, but there's that scene at the bridge, which now hits me way harder, and, you know, Ricci tells Bruno, randomly, just stay here, I'm going to go, I forget what he has to so say, he has to go off and do something.
1: He's trying to find the old yeah, he's man. Trying to
2: find the old man, and then there's commotion, and someone's in the someone's in the river, and my heart just stopped because I, th- I thought a little boy is I'm like, drowning. Oh, no. I'm like, did yeah. oh, wait, like I don't did he die? I don't remember that. Like, oh shit, he dies. But it's yeah. it's it's a fake out. But it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant fake out of yet a, yet another story we're we're kind of seeing the middle and end of where you know some swimmer just got caught in the undertone and you know, everyone's. I think, I think everyone was fine, but it's not Ricci. And yeah. I think that really makes uh, makes Ricci appreciate his son now. And that's when, they, you know, afterwards they go get pizza. And there's that great scene in the restaurant where Ricci tells him, you know, tells Bruno, You're like, okay, we're going to make, I make this amount. And if he times that by... 52 or 26 we're going to be have this much money and if your mom makes a little we're like we're set and you can feel the dreams just like flipping away and you're like oh I'm, I'm i'm feeling for this guy i think he finally he's starting he's starting to get it and now he and that's when he becomes kind of even more desperate and we come to yeah. and we come to the ending where the, the the cycle of of poverty which the film is commenting on com- completely sort of uh, comes full circle, as it were, and uh, Richie, you know, he's, he the cops have failed him. He found the thief, but couldn't couldn't do anything. He was about to get, you know, strung out by the mob, and he sees a he sees a bike sitting by the by a wall unattended, and he you can see in his face he's going through all of the motions of Do I steal mm-hmm. this? like would like it would like would it be fair yes it would be fair someone stole my bike so i'm going to steal someone else's bike and you know and the cycle will continue but i will have my bike and my family will be secure and as we know it doesn't work out for him he goes he finally builds up the nerve steals the bike but somebody they immediately pounce on him
0: immediately it was it was it was it was almost like it was a
2: trap or something
1: yeah (laughs)
2: yes and it
0: where did all these people come from? Yeah, and
2: they're everyone's joined. Yeah. Like, where were all these people when his bike was stolen? When his first?
0: bike was stolen. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I, I think I actually said this out loud as I was watching this on my laptop. I was like, "Where were you? Like five hours ago?"
2: Right, right. And and then it, and then it becomes you know, he's been failed by all these institutions, and now he's being let down by all of these people who don't who don't care about his his story. You know, because we, we don't care about. We don't really care about the bicycle thief's story. We just know that he has one and it's we're we're so mad at him because he stole this this guy's story uh, this guy's bike. And you and then you see and you realize that now Richie is he's viewed as a criminal. He's viewed in the same light by these other men as as he viewed the the thief. And it's it's just never going to end, will it, until things get better. And right now they have no hope of things ever getting back to any semblance of the pre World War II Italy or probably pre Mussolini mm-hmm. Italy that you know so took a toll on them and it's uh and it's just I mean I, f- I found it to be devastating when as they are they're just walking into the crowd defeated uh how do you, how do how did the ending hit for you guys seeing it again
0: brutal I mean, literally, they walk away totally defeated, and then Fiend <laughs> appears.
2: <laughs> and you're
0: like, what the hell is like this?
2: European cinema,
0: God. And it, and I respect that. That's the ending. Yeah, I respect that. That's the ending. And it's so, really life is a kick in the teeth.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Have I, a good. <laughs> I
1: I think though there is um so something I think uh I thought was interesting watching it this summer because I know when I was younger I was like oh he doesn't get the bike back and that's it and that's and that's the film and you and you sort of um you think a little bit I, have you guys reviewed um Sullivan's Travels on the podcast yeah. I, I feel like I saw you guys have you talked about Sullivan's Travels at all no. Sullivan's Travels is a Preston Sturges movie from uh around the same period uh with Veronica Lake and a and uh, Sullivan's Travels has this, uh, it's about a filmmaker who's trying to, who wants to make a film of the people, uh, you know, about poverty, about real life, and he wants it to be, and I, I think the film was actually called Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, which <laughs> the Cohen Brothers I remember, later. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, Joe yeah, yeah. in it, right? Yeah, exactly. Joe McRae and Veronica Lake. And the the whole thing is, is that it has a similar sort of Odyssey-like structure to, to it, like Bicycle Thieves, which is that... Uh, the the director eventually ends up going on a poverty tour uh, of of rural America, and uh, it, it's sort of kind of a dark. It's it's a slightly more optimistic ending in that he ends up in a prison, um, you know, a really horrific prison conditions, and then he ends up watching uh, a Daffy Duck cartoon with uh, with his fellow prisoners, and he suddenly realizes that this sort of indulgence of poverty that he wanted to make and, and, you know, like, you know, he wanted to bring the cinema of the people to the people was not something that the people who are going through this actually want. They wanted to see Daffy Duck. They wanted to see like a happy movie and they wanted the escapism of the movies. And the thing is, is that, so when you watch a film like Bicycle Thieves, you sort of, the ending is kind of feels like it's this dour note of, 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 um, of like, Oh, the world just sucks. And it's going to, you know, this is just going to continue. Okay. But the thing that actually struck me this time watching it was the sense that um, we are, you know, Steve, as you said before, as well, we're going through individual stories, and he's just seeing he's just catching a snippet of each individual story. Um and he the I say it's kind of got this odyssey-like structure because he he gets to discover things by seeing just these little snippets of stories like Home is the Odyssey. And um he, he kind of you know, he sees these little snippets, and he has to infer a grander story for it. Like, for example, when he sees the old man who is in somehow in cahoots with the young thief, he has to infer the kind of poverty that this old man lives through. And he has to think about, like, what this man's life is like. And at the end, the the hopeful note for me in this movie is when he gets caught by this mob and the uh, the man whose bike he steals sees Bruno, and he sees Bruno crying, and he looks to the father, and there's a moment of recognition. There's a moment that, oh, I understand what it is, why it is you wanted to steal this bike, and I'm not gonna, you know, let's just forget about the whole thing. I'm not gonna like press charges. I'm not gonna like continue this this whole charade. Um, you know, let's just go on. I I get it. I get what it is you're going through. Uh, I can't give you my bike, but I understand. And and I think the the sort of bittersweet um, moment at the end is that is that Richie has now kind of uh, he had to reduce himself and he didn't want to do it in front of his son but he did it in front of his son his son saw it and he feels terrible about it yeah. but he still walks away with his son you know he's yeah. not going to prison he's not you know uh, he's not going to be taken away from his son he still has his son and it's and. I'm sort of getting a little worked up or teared up thinking about it. But his son takes his hand oh. at the end of the movie, and his son you know, gives <laughs> back his hat. And his son still loves him. You know, his son wants to be with him. And 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 I think you know that's the sort of the literary tradition that this comes out of, which is that yeah, no, he didn't get the bike back. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a trope of of thinking about cinema in this sort of uh, slightly Western ideological perspective where where goals are more important than characters. And, and what is important, you know, like from a, if we did this film from a Western point of view or from, a, you know, like any sort of American um, viewpoint that, y- you know, we would consider the main goal of the film is to get retribution for his stolen bike. But it's not. The thing that's important is recognizing that the son and the father are still together and, and they walk away together and and though this tragic thing has happened they are still together and i and I, I that was the sort of note of hope that the film you know kind of gave me that i hadn't considered i think when i was younger hmm. um and i know it's difficult it's it's sort of a difficult exercise sometimes to kind of look through that lens but the film is giving you so many details and so many um little moments you know those little side stories that they come across aren't just like snapshots we do get to see the world in which the old man lives in, which is in this church where he has to go get a shave, you know, and, and there's a certain time to get a shave and there's going to be food served, but you can't go at this time. So we do understand. And when that the man who owns the bike recognizes that this is what Ricci is going through, you know, he does empathize. And, and you know, if cinema is an empathy machine, which I think it is, um, that's what this film is kind of giving us is a moment of empathy for this, for, this, for what's happened to him.
0: Said.
2: Thank you for that. Thank you for that insight. I had not uh, not considered that because, as you know, we're very goal oriented. So when you know the Maltese Falcon does not actually matter in the movie, the Maltese Falcon, I feel a little taken taken aback. But you're right. It is a, it is a powerful moment that, upon reflection, Ricci has probably lost his job now, and it's mm-hmm. uh, he's, they're they are walking towards an unknown future. But they are walking there together because the son in a in a very non spoiled way understands in mm. in ways that I don't think I would understand that my daughter probably would not would could never understand certainly at that age the mm. the intricacies and nuances of the the shifting morality of uh you know that poverty kind of you know, you are forced into and into doing the, the you know, this crime this crime is not is it's not a it's not a crime of of malice, it's a crime of necessity and there's there is a world of difference between them.
1: That, yeah.
0: And when I'm sorry, when someone in the mob is like and to do this in front of your son. Yeah. yeah. It's like kind of dad shames him. Yeah.
2: Like 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 that, that guy just... that guy doesn't get it.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> like wow We're talking about kicking a clearly broken man when he's all he's caught like just to add on top of that you should be ashamed in front of yeah. your son and it, it's a terrible you, example
2: and it's just a brilliant bit of acting from um uh, major, major Riani. it's i think it was the, like one of the last scenes they they filmed and he this is the scene where he finally like where he he confesses in later interviews that this is where it, it finally snapped you know, snapped into focus with him and he became reachy and it just you know, when uh when Bruno grabs his hand you just see his, his face sort of shatter into a million bittersweet pieces and it's 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 absolutely a brilliant bit of subtle subtle acting from a guy who like didn't really act before or after this.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think that's a really important point to think about in terms of the neorealists, um, is that, you know, so the the sort of uh, comparable film cinematic movement that was happening around the time, or a little bit, you know, around that period, was the French mm-hmm. New Wave. And the French New Wave, you know, had a similar sort of origin story, which was that it was based upon, uh, you know, a, a magazine of filmmakers, Cahiers du Cinema. In Italy, it was a film, uh, the magazine Cinema. But the thing about the French New Wave, I think, is that they wanted to wanted to innovate in terms of uh, you know, how we use the camera and how we think about structure and formality. Whereas the neorealists were like, no, we want to actually just, we want to forget about all the, the formalities of cinema and we want to just focus on storytelling. And the things to remember here, is, have you guys ever seen a photo of Vittorio De Sica?
2: No.
1: have. De Sica is an actor and he's a devastatingly handsome man. Like, I mean, like, you know, kind of in the um, uh, same way as Mastrioni was, you know, oh, devastatingly okay. handsome, you know, like, you know, really, really good looking.
0: And a very and, Italian kind <laughs> of a handsome.
1: Yeah, exactly. Where it's like universally, there's no way you could look at this. No, no culture from any point in time in history would look at this man and think he wasn't a handsome man. <laughs> and, um, and the thing was, is he was an actor and he was a very successful actor. Um, and so he wasn't, uh, you know, a person from, I mean, he grew up in poverty, um, but he hadn't been there in a while and, and he didn't live amongst, you know, the poor or anything like that. He was, you know, well-to-do and, and so for him, the thing is that, that the, the sense of making this film wasn't just about, um, I want to, you know, the Preston Sturges, Sullivan's travel, sort of like, I'm here to like expose the truth of of history he really believed it. And, you know, that goes to the casting, that goes to, like, operating the camera. You know, one of the famous um, neorealist films is Rossellini's uh, Rome, Open City. And they didn't have, you know, film stock to make that movie. So they would just shoot whatever they had. You know, there was this sort of ethos in front and behind the camera with the neorealist, which I think is really important to think about. Um, and uh, the reason I, I, when you asked me to to watch the movie again, I was kind of excited is I just... Um, I bought, now this is going to start becoming first wheel problems at this point, <laughs> yeah. um, but I just bought uh, Satijit Ray's uh, Box set, the Apu Trilogy, oh, yeah. uh, which is was the film uh, Panther Panchali. And um, uh, Satijit Ray had just, he, the only reason he made Panta Panchali, uh, a Bengali film, was that he sat and watched Bicycle Thieves 50 times. Like he was like, I just, this is the cinema of the people that I want to make. And he had this quote, and I, I tweeted about it when I read it a few weeks ago, which was right before you asked me to do it. But he was uh, there's an amazing documentary on the disc where he's talking about the struggle of making that film. And you know, like he had no money to do it. He was going to like a poor village to make this movie, uh, you know casting non-actors, so still you know borrowing that neo-realist style. and he he said this thing, which was, um, you know he was reflecting on making the movie. And he says, "You found yourself belittling the importance of the camera." After all you said, it is only a recording instrument. The important thing is truth. Get at it, and you've got your great humanist masterpiece. And I think that was this wow. important note about the real neorealist, which is that, you know, the, the sort of playful formality of the French New Wave is not something that is evident at all. And even evident in a filmmaker like Fellini, who comes out of the New Wave, uh, out of the neorealist movement and goes into surrealism. Um, so you get this sense that that cinema is really a tool of the people uh with the neorealist and it's it's something that that i think uh as a filmmaker i forget about and don't think about a lot you know because i'm like obsessed with how the camera works and you know i I grew up watching david fincher movies and alfred Hitchcock movies so i'm obsessed with like how to move the camera at the exact right moment but that's not what this film is about and and it kind of gets to this sort of it, it entirely breaks away that entire tradition and just is no, what What matters is that we connect with the people in front of us. and And that just makes for this wonderful empathy machine. And I, I you know the thing that came out last year, um that I, I think we've got this trend in American politics where we don't empathize with poverty anymore. and And there's no better case than I think was former uh republican uh senator or or congressman J- Jason Chavez uh, going on Fox and Friends and saying, something like, well, maybe people shouldn't buy cell phones uh, with their money and you know, and they should buy healthcare instead. And it's the exact same bicycle analogy, which is that he doesn't understand that the cell phone is the gateway into a bit of life and it's absolutely necessary. So I would love Jason Chavez uh, to sit down and it's watch. It's like
0: had not thing. having the internet. It's not a luxury anymore. It's if you're going to apply for a job, you have to do it through the internet. Yeah.
1: That's and, it. And, and not having a
0: car. A car isn't. A luxury you need it to get to work unless you live in new york like some some other podcasters. yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) and if you're in the middle or upper classes you you view those you view anything that isn't food or lodging uh, as a luxury item and it's not you know and that's the sort of thing that we have to think about and i think it's something that that this film really plays into because you know like the item they're trying to they're not hungry you know, they, they go to a restaurant at some point. The item they're trying to get is a bicycle, you know, which is, which is arguably a luxury item, but it's the gateway to everything he needs. Um, so I, I don't know. There was something about the way in which the sense of the camera and the sense of performance and all that sort of the mechanics of filmmaking just aren't important uh, in this film. What's important is the people. Uh, and I think it was just kind of lovely to watch it and think about that again.
2: It's a very matter-of-fact film that though yeah. it is set in a very specific time and place has appeal through the ages like you mm. this movie will still be talked about and lauded for centuries to come like maybe maybe like i hope there will be a time when we can view this as this was what poverty was like back in the 20th century and when, now that we live in star trek we no longer have that but i i highly doubt that will be the case and it's it shows a resiliency in the human spirit that uh, I appreciate because you know because it is an ultimately unsuccessful quest endeavor them finding mm. the, the bike but you realize that as with so many things so many quests it's not about that it's about kind of just going forward and trying
0: which
1: yeah
2: is and. has its own has its own beauty and especially when that beauty is presented so not bluntly but i guess i guess almost softly just but completely without flourish makes Mm. it uh makes it more powerful than if you were driving driving at home with a sad sarah mclaughlin song playing (laughs) playing on the background you
0: know and, and the one thing is is as depressing as the ending is you know he's gonna get up the next day yeah And, you know, he's going to go to the place and, you know, he's going to try to get a job and he's going to drop the kid off at the thing. He's not defeated. And I like. I respect the fact that it has the sad ending as opposed to the big uplifting monologue about how tomorrow is another day.
1: Yeah, right.
0: The whole speech about we're poor, but we're going to keep. Fighting and almost the Tom Jode from the Grapes of Wrath monologue and wherever there's a struggle. and as much and I love Tom Jode, I love Henry Fonda. he gave that monologue really really well. We don't need another one of those though we don't need another grapes of wrath we need we just know in our hearts we don't have to be told that, and it kind of res- it, it respects right. that
2: we we the audience yeah. are allowed to make the monologue she hears that was an excellent point <laughs> you made like that's <laughs> like that's what the Sika would want to hear about about this movie about you know from his characters, like this is you know kind of we're kind all gonna keep going
0: and it's gonna suck and it's mm-hmm. gonna be like this for a long time but you know what we go we know that the guy has friends that guy who looked
2: yeah, like by a coco
0: like helped him go through it like those are the people in your life those are your peeps you know you've got your kid and and the other thing about he brought his kid along on all these things, and that's another thing we don't think about. My son goes to preschool, so if I had to go and find a bike, I could put him somewhere safe where he'd get his meals and he'd play with his friends and have be happy. But it's like, he's got to bring his kid with him, and the kid just has to go along with him and run and go in the rain and well, yeah. get in on their thing when they're looking at this bike chop shop. <laughs> yeah. well,
2: uh, well, I feel as though we could discuss this film for many, many more hours, but we are coming to a close on this. Uh, I, I'm going to ask the question: Did this deserve to win the honorary Oscar for foreign language film at the 22nd Academy Awards? Of course. Could it have given uh, all the king's men a run for its money?
0: I he
1: think if to- you, I think if you look at the history of uh, of of how uh, films place uh, in, you know, how how films kind of land historically. Uh, if you asked uh, anyone on the street if they've heard of Bicycle Thieves or or All the King's Men, uh, they're probably going to say they know Bicycle Thieves right. more, uh, just because of the place it's been lauded in history. Uh, so and I'm, I, I'm guessing, it was, it was yeah. voted
2: the.
0: And I've seen All the King's Men and I've read the book, and it was, I I think it's going to All the King's Men is going to be remembered as a great book, more than a great movie, it's a, if, that, a, if it's remembered at all. And I like it. I think it's a great. Great central
2: performance. Yeah. But uh, yes. yeah, um, Bicycle Thieves was awarded the greatest film of all time spot by Sight and Sound uh, during the first yeah. Sight and Sound poll. Uh, I think it dropped to number six uh, 30 years later, but I think it's still hanging out in the top 10 nowadays. And for very, very good reasons. And um, yeah. Shahir, I want to thank you so much for coming on and discussing this. Your insight is Always valuable and appreciated, and we look forward to having you back on for
1: future endeavors. Uh, what's
0: uh, I learned things? I loved it. I was like, tell me
1: more. Yeah. <laughs> were... Can I can I do can I do? I know I know we're wrapping up, but I just wanted to say if you did enjoy Bicycle Thieves, um there's a filmmaker. Uh, I know Sean Baker is the guy that you know people are talking about in terms of you know making the film of the people, but Romain Barani. Um, who's uh who made a film, the, the early films of Romain Barani, he's an American filmmaker. Uh he did a film called Man Push Cart and Chop Shop, uh, which if you enjoy, you know, if you enjoyed bicycle thieves and want to see an American sort of reflection of that, uh, that is modern and new and and relevant uh to today's world, I think you know you could you could do no better than that. Romain Barani's actually like taking that leap into into science fiction. He's uh, he's directing the uh Fahrenheit four five one adaptation Ooh. on HBO really uh, right now
0: for that.
1: yeah yeah but uh, but check out uh chop shop uh, and which is directly influenced by um uh by bicycle thieves uh for a sort of similar similar experience and i think i think you know there's a there's a real value to this kind of cinema and you know like it's it's not the thing <laughs> uh you know if you go to the movies now it's impossible to find a theater that's not playing avengers not that there's anything wrong with Avengers, but 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 you know, if you want to see something like this, um please hunt out those films. And I also just I know we're going out, uh, the way I saw this film uh, was using a service I'd never used before, uh, but I, I just wanted to talk about it, which is Canopy. Have you guys used Canopy? I've no, never heard of it. No. Canopy, if you if you have a library card, uh, you can go to any public library, get a library card, and you can sign up to a service called Canopy, which is a free streaming service as good as, which has a really big catalog. It's the kind of films that you would get at uh, at a public library, which included the bicycle thieves. Uh, a lot of Criterion films are on Canopy. It's entirely free, Ooh. completely 100% legal, free streaming. If you have an Apple TV, it will stream to your app. You can get the Canopy app, uh, HD streaming, fantastic resource, uh, kind of cinema of the people, for the people, you know, like, and it's and it's curated by people who want to make, you know, make films available to everyone um, in a way. It won't have all your big blockbusters and that sort of thing on it, but it's a wonderful resource. And that's how I watch this film.
0: I know what I'm doing yeah,
1: I'm this gonna,
2: afternoon. I'm well, actually, you know what I'm doing right after this? I'm going to go see Infinity War. Because uh, the last go. time I saw it, I was with the baby and she decided to put up a racket. So I don't actually know what, what happened. happened. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> um, but uh, everyone, uh, Shahir, what's what's happening on uh, Only Podcasts about movies? You got a 2001 episode coming up.
1: We got the Infinity War episode coming up. 2001 coming up. Uh, we are going to try a few more things. We've got a couple of interviews with writers um, of books that aren't films, um, but talk Wait, about what's... films that we that we're yeah that we re- I'm really excited to to have. Um, you can find us at uh, onlymoviepodcast.com dot com or uh, go. Uh, you can uh, email us, and if you have direct questions or anything you wanted to to hit us up with uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com or go to uh, or tweet at us. You know, because that's a thing um, <laughs> at, at Only Movie um, We would love to have you guys back on the podcast. Well, we, Amy, we haven't had you on the podcast yet, but Steve's been a retur- recurring guest many uh, times.
0: Honored. I yeah. loved it and a fascinating guest and he really taught me a lot and
1: i really appreciate that seriously and then, and then i you really and enjoyed the conversation with you guys go like oh god what is what is happening <laughs> <laughs> no matt has many insights many many wonderful insights there uh the, he just has a different interest in it. yeah uh and i think that's what make the podcast uh what makes the podcast interesting i love I, it's uh some some people have commented it's not really about
2: the movies it's about the personalities and how you how you each approach them so i love i love hearing the the marvel movies but i also love when you do some weird esoteric thing like that pigeon sitting on a branch (laughs) contemplating its existence like i what is this (laughs) film it sounds fascinating amazing that films on netflix now by the way so you can watch it (laughs) fantastic but um you have been listening to the oscar watch podcast thank you so much for tuning in i know it's a long one but it was a very important one thanks to shahir uh if you like what you hear you can drop us a line at OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com and be sure to find us on social media at OscarWatchPod. We, too, are doing an episode on 2001 in honor of the 50th anniversary of that film's release. That will be dropping next week, at, or I think perhaps on the day of the 50th anniversary. We shall see. Although, you, although right now I feel like you really want to listen to Shahir talk about that because uh, i imagine it will be much more insightful but yeah. we're gonna have fun with that as well and uh amy where can folks find you
0: a thomason 11 on twitter and on the facebook page where our friend michael from ontario got back to me and he has seen every single best picture winner before i <laughs> have. so michael from ontario nice job
1: michael will every get single best picture winner wow
0: every single best picture winner
1: <laughs> That is commitment.
0: He was able to actually comment on Cimarron. And who can comment on Cimarron?
1: I, I can't. Like, he did. Yeah.
0: and he did. So nice job.
2: Shout out thank Mike. Thank you so much for listening in. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you on the Red Cup. I want to
1: ride my bicycle. I want to ride my to ride my bicycle I want to ride my